Luke chapter 21, beginning at the 25th verse, and can be found on page 1056 of the Pew Bibles. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and the tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray with Peter. Father, we do thank you for Peter and all that he is for us and all that he does for us. And we pray now that you would anoint him by the power of your Holy Spirit. Give us ears to hear what you want us to hear this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Libby. I don't normally start my sermons with a notice, but I've been asked to give you a, a notice or uh, it's a, uh, information that's been given out, but it needs to be amended slightly, so uh, it's, it's, it is important. Uh, Nit and Natter is not meeting at Zap Coffee Shop this Friday. It is, it is meeting at Dobby's. Is that correct? I'm assured it is correct. Uh, so it's at 10.30, so it's at Dobby's at 10.30. Okay. Uh, Here endeth my sermon. No, not really. (laughs) Well, we are, uh, as you know, obviously, uh, and have been reminded this morning, uh, we are in Advent. It's the first Sunday of Advent. And uh, you probably know, but if you don't, let me remind you, it marks the beginning of the church year. The church year has seasons, and this is the first season of the church year. And it is an important season of the church year. And yet, we want to get through it to Christmas. 
just a couple of weeks ago, Rachel and I and a few others were here hosting Oak Meadows School and their assembly. They come into church for assemblies about once a month. So they had their assembly in here a week and a half ago. And the theme of the assembly was Advent. And I started off the assembly and I asked them, well, do you know what Advent means? Because, well, why should they know? Uh, And so we got uh, to think that it's about waiting and hoping uh, for something or someone to arrive. And so I asked them, well, who might you be waiting for or what might you be waiting for at this time of year? So not surprisingly, the age group that they are, they said, well, I went up to uh, one of them and they said, Father Christmas. I said, well, you might be. Uh, so I said, well, yeah, anything else you might be waiting for? Presents. Yeah, you might well be. Anything else you might be waiting for? And finally we got to Jesus. I said, yes, exactly. Advent is the time of year where we are waiting for Jesus. And yet, even us as grown-up Christians, we can want to skip through this season, can't we? We want to get to Christmas. But these Bible readings that we've got for these next few Sundays will help us to slow down a bit. Help us to invite God in. And to help us to look at God's big picture of salvation. And so that is where our reading from Luke comes in. From Luke chapter 21 that we've just heard. Because in this portion of Luke, Jesus is in the temple. And he's talking to his disciples and he's talking to those around him. And he's talking about the prophecies, talking about prophecies of the end times. And so I don't know how you reacted when you heard uh, verses that were read, such as verse 25, where Jesus says, There will be signs in the sun, moon and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. I wonder how you react to those words or or the next verse. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. These aren't easy words, are they? These are not easy thoughts. And, you know, it kind of brings up all sorts of reactions in us, doesn't it? Of, Of what is Jesus talking about? You know, what is it going to be like? And yet... We know, don't we, that Jesus holds us in his, in his arms. He holds us safe in his arms. And yet, there is that sense of perplexity. Uh, and yet also, I want to bring out from this passage, uh, particularly the theme of hope. We've sung about hope in some of our songs, haven't we, already? Uh, that this is, despite what you think, this is a story of hope. This is a passage of hope. That despite the anguish, despite that, you know, sort of the doom and the gloom in a way, uh, despite those sort of portents, that God is in control and that he will have the final words. That in fact there is hope. But I think it's true to say, isn't it, as, as you and I live in the world, as we go around and about in our daily lives and we, we talk to people and they talk to us, you know, in a sense hope is in short supply. And when you get into conversation with people who, who may not be a Christian and they, and they maybe realize or, or, or hear that you are a Christian, uh, so they might say to you, well, okay, you're a Christian, so you tell me where there is hope in the world. 
You tell me. And, you know, the things that people go through, the things that we go through, the crises of our life, can rob us of our hope. And then we watch the news and we hear stories of suffering all over the world and, and, and wars going on all over the world and we hear about crime going on in our country. And we can wonder, where is our hope? Maybe you're kind of looking at the news and you're hearing about Brexit every single time the news is on. Brexit is mentioned. You know, and the uncertainty of that. Where is our hope? And yet the Bible is always, always relevant and alive. And the Gospel of Luke speaks into this situation because Luke is writing to a church who are going through trials. He's writing to the early church, and the early church is going through trials wherever they are because they're not accepted. Far from it, they're under a huge persecution because the Roman Empire is against them. And they've also not only got that, but they've also got the pagan religions around them. So they're they're being uh, uh, persecuted all over the place. So Luke is writing to people who know about this sort of suffering. And so there's a similarity to, it's not the same because we're in different time and different place, but there is a similarity of context into which this gospel speaks. So what is our basis for hope? Is it found in looking for the signs of the, of the end? Or is our hope found elsewhere? Now, for you New Testament scholars, uh, you will know this already, but this portion of Luke is copied, not, not in its entirety, but in a, quite a, a huge, uh, quite a, a big extent from Mark. So if you were to look back at Mark chapter 12, let's do that uh, together. So Mark chapter 12, a few, a few pages before, um, I, I've got a diff- my own Bible, so I've not got the church Bible. Page numbers are always helpful, so who, who could give out the page number for Mark chapter 12, the end of? I can't hear that. 1017, thank you. So 1017 in your Bible is the end of Mark. And you will see that basically you've got um, uh, the end of that. And then right into chapter 13, you've got that Jesus is in the temple. And so basically Matthew draws on Mark at this point, uh, one of his big sources. And so you can either read this this version in Mark, or you can read the, the version in Luke. It doesn't really matter because they're both telling the same uh, event. But basically what is going on is Jesus, you see, is responding to discussions about end times. And so if we use our Luke version, Luke 21, go back to the beginning of that chapter. And uh, we'll read verses 5 to 7. We'll see how this has come about, why Jesus is talking about this in the first place. So Luke 21 verse 5 to 7 says this, Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? He replied, watch out that you, do not, you are not deceived. For many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. 
So basically, the, the disciples are, are wondering, when are these things going to happen? When, when is this temple going to be torn down? And in a way, I don't think we're so different really, are we? I think, you know, you probably thought about it at some point, you know, when is Jesus going to return? When is he going to come back? And there's a sort of an abiding curiosity in humanity about, well, when is God going to return to this earth? And it's kind of gone on down through the centuries ever since uh, these words were written down. Despite the fact that Jesus constantly says to his disciples and to us, he says, concentrate on your worship of God and your love of those around you. The Thessalonians were masters of this wondering. If you know the letter to the Thessalonians, uh, in that book, Paul addresses them, and, and, and right at the end of every single chapter in Thessalonians, Paul addresses issues of the end times. Because they had got to the point where they thought, well, Jesus is about to come back. So what we will do is we will stop working. We will put down our tools. We will stop working and we will wait for Jesus to return. And that's why St. Paul says to them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1, he says, now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. In other words, he's saying to them, stop speculating about the end times. Stop wondering about that. But who can blame them? You know, we all get curious, don't we? We're all a bit like that. We all want to kind of think, oh, yes, these are the end times. This is Jesus coming back. This must be it. And he's going to come back and he's going to establish his kingdom on earth. He's going to deal with Satan. He's going to deal with sin. He's going to deal with death once and for all. Well, these are, these are the people who've been looking at, you know, these, these, these disciples that Luke is writing about, these people have met God in person, in Jesus. So no wonder they're curious about when he's going to come back. No wonder. Curiosity is something that we all fall into. I wonder if you've ever, you know, got, let curiosity get the better of you. Have you ever, like me, have you ever been in a disabled toilet and you've kind of wondered what the pull cord might do if you pull it? <laughs> have you ever actually pulled it? Or if you've been in a, a building, like, a, I don't know, an office block or a museum or something like that, and you've been in there and you've seen a door that says, do not enter, or a cupboard that says, do not open, staff only. Have you ever been, you know, tempted to open it? Or if you're anything like me, if you're watching something like The Apprentice, you're curious to know what's actually going on in the background. Maybe I'm the only one. But curiosity is inbuilt into, into us. It is. We kind of, we, all, we do, I think we need curiosity uh, in this life. And yet it can lead to trouble. Do you know the Pandora box story? Yeah. Uh, Pandora, the story of the Pandora box, uh, it, it's got very interesting links and sort of analogies and uh, connections with the, uh, the biblical Eve story. In the Pandora story, basically, uh, she uh, is given a, a box as a gift. And uh, she reaches the point where she can't stop herself from opening this box. 
And, and she opens the box. There's all sorts of evils come out of the box. You know, hatred and death and suffering. And all these horrible things come out. And, and so as quickly as she can, she closes the box up. But there's a twist in the story. Because even though she's opened the box and let all these horrible things out, she then feels drawn to open the box up again. And, and in versions, there are different versions of the story. But in some versions of the story, she opens the box up again and out comes hope. Hope comes out of the box. But it's interesting, isn't it? You know, these, these two trains of thought, in, in the ancient world, the, the, uh, you've got basically two main philosophies of, of thought going on. You've got the Greek train of thought, and you've got the Judeo-Christian train of thought. And both of those trains of thought have got this dichotomy of good and bad. You know, uh, uh, there's, there's a light and a dark. There's suffering and hope. In both of these trains of thought, that's a very strong element of their thinking, of the philosophy that they, they have in them. But how many times have we been accused of opening a Pandora box only to forget about hope? Just as there's no going back to the simple world before the box was opened. Just as there's no way, no way back for humanity after they eat of that tree the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. There's no going back. Because if we pull that cord, you've got to take the consequences. But even after the devastation of opening that box, there is hope. Curiosity and hope go together. And I think hope is crucial for humanity and paramount in the Christian faith. We've been looking at 1 Corinthians, haven't we? In 1 Corinthians 13, one of the most famous chapters in the Bible because of weddings. But at the end of that chapter, St. Paul selects three values that he says are the most important godly values in this world. Faith, hope, and love. They're the most important values that we have in this life. Faith, hope, and love. Humanity needs hope to face another day. Humanity needs hope to face another week. Humanity needs hope to face another year. And the world around us needs us to be living signs of hope in this world. But what is hope? Well, you could look it up in the dictionary. But if you want it to be made tangible and real, you've got to look at Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus Christ, there is the living sign of hope because he brings forgiveness to us how many times have you strayed from God and yet God comes looking for you you know in the the Genesis story there's a lovely uh, way that it's put you know that they 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 have sinned they've 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 done what they shouldn't have done they've taken the apple off the tree they tasted of the fruit And they go away from the garden, and yet it says in Genesis, in the cool of the evening, God comes looking for them. Hope is pictured in the the scriptures in various ways. In the Old Testament, it's pictured in, in various ways. The Old Testament prophets look to David as a source of hope. Again and again and again, they say, look, David, he brought hope to us. And it will come again. 
that hope will come back. They say again and again and again, there's going to be a descendant of David who will come back and he will bring hope, he will bring justice, he will bring righteousness, he will bring shalom to his people. And there we are in Luke 21 and the followers of Jesus are saying to to God made man, they're saying, when are these things going to happen? And the Thessalonians are so hopeful, well they put down tools and they're just waiting. And so here we are in Advent, the season of waiting, the season of hope, the season of praying. And our hope lies in Jesus, God made man. Our hope is in the incarnation. And yet we can say that glibly, can't we? Oh, we can say that glibly. Our hope lies in our belief that Jesus is God made man. What we're saying is, is that this Davidic figure, whom the faithful people of Israel hoped for for centuries, and still hope for actually, has already come. Now again, New Testament wise, and and particularly in the Gospels, uh, if you know your Gospels, you'll know that there's two Gospel writers who are particularly interested in the birth of Jesus. Matthew and Luke. And Matthew and Luke, who are particularly interested in the birth of Jesus, you'll notice that John doesn't really talk about it other than the prologue. Mark, well, just skips through to the baptism straight away. But Matthew and Luke hold on to this connection between David and Jesus in the line of the prophets. And so you'll notice, uh, well, let's have a look. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, right at the beginning of Matthew's gospel. Go back to it. The very first book in the, in the New Testament. Have a look. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Again, if there's a page number, please shout it out. Anybody got the page number? Matthew 1, verse 1. 965. Thank you. Page 965. The very first verse of the whole New Testament says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Interesting, isn't it? There's Matthew. Luke doesn't start with a genealogy, uh, but David comes into it. So if you turn into uh, back to Luke chapter 2, verse 4, you'll see where he does that. So Luke chapter 2, verse 4. Thank you. 1027, uh, Luke writes, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of... David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. This is hope. It's hope because he's, Luke and Matthew are saying, this is the one who was promised of old in the line of David. And so Jesus, Jesus, right, is born, grows up. Jesus is there and Jesus raises people's hopes. But he also, uh, people's hopes are dashed too, interestingly. Let's think about that. Uh, his, uh, he, he raises people's hopes. Let's look at one example of that. So uh, in uh, John's Gospel, we're looking through uh, the Gospels, that's fine. So John uh, chapter 1. And uh, John chapter 1. 
verse uh, 44, I think it is. Yes, that's right. So John chapter 1, verse 44, maybe 45. Again, page number. If you've got a page number, please do shout it out. 1064, page 1064. It says, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And then Nathanael says something interesting. He says, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come on. And then Philip says to him, come and see. Come and, just come and see. Come and see. Come and meet him. Come and meet him. And when he meets Jesus, he, he says yes. He says yes, that he says, you are the king of Israel. You are the son of God. Jesus raises hopes. Jesus also dashes people's hopes, particularly when he talks about his own death. He draw, there's crowds are coming, miracles are performed, teaching is, is taught, and yet when he turns teaching to the cross, well, people start turning away. They can't hear it. His own family say, well, you know, don't talk about that. His own family say, you know, try and take him away. And the crowds turn, uh, to begin to disappear and the disciples betray him, deny him, abandon him. But the main reason for that change of heart was that this new David was not like the old David. This new David was not an earthly king. He was not a military strategist like King David of old. Because for Jesus, there's no military uprising. That's what they wanted, but he wasn't going to do it. He wasn't going to bring that about. Jesus, have you ever read about this? this some, some people put it as a revolution. It's, I think that's, that's a fair way of putting it. The revolution of Jesus is directed towards people's hearts. It's directed to people's hearts. He wants to bring people into the kingdom of God, into his kingdom. And it's a kingdom not of this world, but to one which we are all invited to enter. And some have caught that vision, the vision of God's kingdom in Christ, and others reject it. And, and to those of, of his own day, of Jesus' own day, some would, would have said, well, that's a vain hope. That's a, you know, that's a, how can we put our hope in that? It's pie in the sky when you die. They wanted action. Now, I wasn't actually around in the 1960s, so if you were around, you'll have to tell me. But in the 1960s, there's a particularly strong train of thought that said that God is dead. Is that right? There's even a book about it, I think. And this, this sort of sense that actually God doesn't exist, God is dead, and so people turn to all sorts of other answers. Uh, technology, careers, possessions. Etc., etc. But those gods, if they're not extremely ill, well, I think they're dead. They are dead. There's, there's less hope in those than opening Pandora's box. So, how do we hold on to hope in this mixed up world that we're in? What does Jesus say? Well, let's look. 
Luke 21, verse 34. This is what Jesus says. He says, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down. He says, be careful. Watch how you're living or you will be weighed down by anxieties of life. He says, be always on the watch and pray. Be watchful and prayerful so that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Be careful, be watchful so that you may be able to stand. Faith in Jesus is active, not reactive. It's about looking out for signs of the kingdom of God in the world we're in as the kingdom of God breaks through in the here and the now. And it's not being distracted by, well, you know, when is he going to come back? And the hope that the, the Christian faith offers to the world is much more specific and active than any hope that might have emerged from Pandora's box. Christian expressions of hope are intimately related to faith and love. Because we've got faith in a God who cares about his creation and who calls us into relationship with him and each other. Faith, hope and love are active ingredients in our lives. Not just sort of, you know, sprinklings on the top when we want to spice things up a bit. And so let's, let's think about some questions. I wonder where, you, where do you see faith, hope and love of signs, those signs of the coming kingdom of God in your life? Where do you see faith, hope and love in your family, in your work, in your community, in this village of Baston Hill? Where do you see those signs of God at work in a broken and bruised world? Maybe small acts of compassion. Maybe in the way others are blessing you or maybe in the way you are blessing others. Where are you seeing God at work on your front line? For those who were here yesterday with George, we were thinking about that. We've got another slide up, Dave. So what I'd like you to do, just for a few minutes, not a long time, I want you just to think about that and I want you to try and express that to people around you if you'd like to do this. I'd like you to think about that question. Where do you see God at work? In the lives, where do you see God at work around and about you in your day-to-day life? Okay, if you're up for this, have a little think, have a a discussion with, just for a few minutes, with those around you. And I may even come around with a microphone just as there's any responses. So get, get together, move your chairs, whatever you want to do, just for a few minutes. Where do you see God at work? in your day-to-day life. Have a go. Um, The League of Friends at the hospital. Been working with them for many years now. And we have over 170-something volunteers. You see God at work there every single day. Every day. There's customers that come to the counter that are down in the dumps. They've had tests There's other customers that come to the counter that have just had good results from their tests and they're celebrating with a cup of tea and a cake and whatever. You see God at work and 
It's, it's just wonderful, wonderful. And just taking the time, taking the time to listen to those customers and giving them a word of encouragement. That's what it's all about. Thank you very much, Chris. Thank you. Wonderful. Anything else? What's that? Um, I've worked at the Mount for 20 years and I see God there too and um, also with the people there as well. It's absolutely beautiful. Really beautiful. Mine's actually a very simple one. Um, I've just, in the last few months really, started to have to use a walking stick. And I think it's amazing that uh, the way people step aside for me and they'll open doors for me and all the rest of it. Um, and in many ways, you know, it's um, something I've always tried to do for other people, but it's amazing how many people were just respond in that very simple way. As some people may know, we have a Bible study at St. Julian's every Saturday. And yesterday was possibly one of the very best we've ever had. And we have some people who are still finding their way. And there's one particular lady who comes and she's been very quiet, very thoughtful, very reflective, doesn't say a lot. But yesterday, at the end of the meeting, she was, he was, she was shining with joy. That's all I can say. There were two of them, actually, came, and they were shining bright. And they said, that was wonderful. And I just thank God for that. That, I guess, is hope. One or two more. Um, I'd like see God work every Tuesday morning in the coffee in the living room there are so many people just from church who go out and serve the community which is showing the love of God lifts and making all the wonderful cakes and coffee and then the opportunities there are to share God at the table and just talk about Jesus and bring that hope that we've been talking about there are loads of opportunities that is a wonderful wonderful opportunity Um, I sit in the counselling room when people come and um, sometimes they think that um, almost that there is no hope, that hope's gone. But then I say, but something has, you know, something has brought you here and you sort of see, you know, I have the privilege of seeing that little glimmer of hope starting to sort of just emerge and, and to help to, to, um, yeah, to sort of help that to, to grow and to see the difference that that makes in people's lives is amazing. So let me, just go back let me encourage you to uh, carry on those conversations in home groups or after the service uh, and yeah, encourage each other where... He's got to work because God is always at work. He's always at work. He is, uh, he is God. That's what he does. And uh, so remember what Jesus says. He says, uh, be careful, be watchful, be prayerful so that you may be able to stand.
And so, uh, as I, let me just sort of wrap it up, sum it up. But here we are in Advent. And in, in Advent, we hold out to the world this word of hope. The word made flesh. As well as, yes, that the kingdom of God is going to be realized in its fullness. He is going to come back. And yet, that's not a, a, a reason to put out our tools and just say, well, I'm going to wait uh, in that sort of sense. But, and be passive. No, it's, it's about living at our our faith in our world, uh, and to uh, be tangible signs of hope, signs of faith, signs of love, all in the name of Jesus, our Saviour and our friends. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give us hope because you have given us Jesus. Lord, help us in our day-to-day lives to be living signs of hope, and face and love as we go around and about in our day-to-day lives. Uh, Lord, give us those signs, those, uh, those signals of you at work. And Lord, help us to be alert and watchful and prayerful to join in with where you are at work. And in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.